Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 613. I am not Ryan Panagos. I'm Angelique Roche. I'm very excited to introduce the show this week because, Ryan, you got to go to to Comic-Con. Yeah, wow. I, uh, I said the hello Marvelite so many times on stage at Comic-Con. Thank you for taking this one for me, Angelique. I also, uh, I know to like, sort of like pull it back most of the time, but it was close to the end of the show. And I was like, I'm going full on this one. And I did my big one. And they were like, cool, we're going to give you a different microphone. Cause you <laughs> just, everybody's upset. And I was like, nailed it. Um, but for those of you who are listening to this and are like, who are these two crazy people? Uh, this is the official Marvel podcast where you get to talk about all the things happening this week in Marvel. And boy, are there a lot. We got games, comics, books, toys, movies, TV, and so many other things we're excited about. Because last week, there were so many announcements. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a big Comic-Con recap show. But with a lot of other stuff, some new stuff, we're going to talk about the new comics on sale this week. And... We are going to have a Marvel Insider Code for you later on the show. And we're going to be talking to executive creative director for Disney Live Entertainment, Dan Fields, about Rogers the Musical. So good. I'm very excited for you to hear that full interview later on in the show. It's really something special, y'all. All Uh, all right. So I got to ask, man. Um, I saw the crowds. I saw Mm -hmm. the recaps. Mm -hmm. Um, I saw a lot of dancing spider people. Oh, man. A so, lot of dancing spider people. We had this this like thing on the stage for uh, one of our partners, Jazzwares, who do some really great Spider-Man costumes, and they were showing off their new Zentai costumes, and th- those are great. I, I like those. They also have these hockey jerseys and stuff. My favorite thing are their uh, Spider-Rex and Venomsaurus costumes, so I made sure yes! to go home with a, a Spider-Rex uh, to, to have, and they're like these big inflatable floppy dinosaur costumes that are wonderful but then they we we had this like whole dance thing on the stage and they were like yeah ryan so you're you're good to do this and i was like excuse me uh (laughs) what costume are you putting me in and they were like oh yeah we'll get you to do this i was like all right fine i'll do it it'll be fun and then by the time it, it had come time they had enough people on the crew had you know, jumped in and everybody was having a good time. They didn't need me to, to strut my stuff, which is fine. It's just totally fine. You were literally blasting through, like between you, Langston Belton, Josh Lay, and, you know, Ray Lowe, my sweet, sweet, sweet Ray. And the booth just looked amazing, right? There was so many collaborations. There was lids. There was kits. So good. I... We were looking good at Comic-Con, but there's a lot of news, a lot of things. So we should start running into some of this. And Uh, Should we we swing into it? We should swing into it. Thwip, thwip, because Marvel Spider-Man 2 rocked Comic-Con's biggest room, which is Hall H. Now, everybody knows Hall H because that's where a lot of the the big studios are. And so Marvel Games got to get into that room on Thursday. So it was cool. They this had is crazy man. The yeah, crowd. they had cast members there who are doing the voices in the game. They had people who are making the game. Friend of the show, Brian Intahar, and many more. Uh, Tony Todd. I think we talked about Tony. Either it was you and I talking about Tony, off mic or yes, on the show we previously. Did. Because, I mean, he's yeah. an icon. Like Tony Todd is an icon. Like if if you have ever heard a frightening, dark foreboding um creepy noise in the night that just like 
I mean, he's Candyman. Like this, this, this guy's voice is the epitome of all hell's about to break loose. Perfect casting because he will be Venom in the game, and we got to see Venom in motion a whole bit, and he looks really cool. Um, they showed off gameplay and concept art and a whole bunch of stuff. You can actually watch highlights of the panel and all the Marvel panels, some of them in full, some of them in clips, uh, over at marvel.com slash SDCC and Marvel's YouTube channel. And also, Angelique, did you get to watch the new trailer, the story trailer for the game? Uh, yeah. Um straight tears amazingness they also showed off a special playstation 5 console the marvel spider-man 2 limited edition bundle it's red and black and super cool and features a custom ps5 console cover design with a matching dualsense wireless controller it looks so good uh, the, the bundle also comes with the voucher for the digital copy of Marvel Spider-Man 2 Standard Edition. But if you already own a PS5 like us, you can purchase that special Spidey PS5 console cover on your own separately. Or you could also purchase the DualSense wireless controller that is special for Marvel Spider-Man 2. You could buy those separately and still get all that action, which I think is magnificent. I think that's always kind of how I feel when I see a special console. And I'm like, but I... Have one. Yeah. I can't. And now I can go, but I can get you a new outfit, though, PS5. Yeah. Dress you up real pretty like. All right. So for those who are interested, pre-orders for the special PS5 console, Marvel's Spider-Man 2 Limited Edition Bundle are live now as of July 28th, and the game releases on October 20th. Heck, yeah. Uh, you like the little joke I threw in this? Uh, Yo, in our document? X-Men gonna give it to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like it. I like it. I'm, you know what? Look, I also just showed my age because... Yeah. Uh, same. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 we're not going to go through every single panel at the, the convention. We're going to talk about there a lot, was of, a the lot of panels. A lot of panels that Marvel had. But I did want to point out this one because I hosted the uh, Designing the X-Men, a This Week in Marvel special panel at Comic-Con. You can watch the, the panel up on YouTube. Um, it was really fun, but we did have some announcements in there. We revealed X-Men Blue Origins, which is a new one-shot that's going to basically go into a big mystery for Marvel Comics. Uh, written by Cy Spurrier, draw by Wilton Santos, it's going to provide the definitive origin story for Nightcrawler. Something that has been talked about, thought about, hoped about within the walls of Marvel Comics for a while and is now coming in November. So what you're talking about is like, we'll actually know, like there's no speculation, like, yeah, like no, no, like it's going to be canon, like, like for real, like we're not going to get into like, we're not going to get into these arguments about like who Nightcrawler's baby mama, baby daddy. Yeah, it's going to lock it up. Wow. Mm Hmm. You know, don't you? Oh yeah, a hundred percent. I don't know. I don't know. See, we're friends, but sometimes I question it. I do. But you know what? You like teasing things. I, I heard did. they yeah. also teased who are the new X Men. Uh, it's got an old school logo vibe to it. I kind of love it, but I don't know if I'm supposed to love it. Am yeah. I supposed to love it? Am I yeah. supposed to love them? We'll see. We're going to find out um, uh, more details for that to come. But, you know, it's it's a little bit of a different look than all the Krakoan era stuff. And that's intentional. We'll find out what that all means in due time. Speaking of in due time, the oh. launch of Marvel Move is getting real close. And I was like, 
Well, we got a big giant X-Men story. I'm hosting an X-Men panel. I'm running Marvel Move Creative. Why don't I share something just for the world for the first time? So I premiered the first listen of Wolverine and Jean Grey clips from our X-Men story in Marvel Move to the room, to the panel. Um, it also has a really fun uh, dig at Cyclops that I, that we have Wolverine make. And it was it was really fun. That's all nice. Um but um, our sweet, sweet, thick baby boy um, got a new action figure. Yeah. Tell me all of the details I need to know. So we were building out this panel, right? And and I'm like trying to do this and that and build surprises because I know what it's like to have to be in a room for an hour. And you want some, you want to like those surprise and delight moments. And so I also knew that our friends at Hasbro were revealing some action figures based on the X-Men specifically based on Marvel Studios X-Men 97, I said, hmm, we're maybe doing something connected to that. Can I steal one of your reveals? Is, is that how you did it? Say, just, right. like, it? like that. And the funny, because the reveal was also a thing that I was hosting at the booth. So I was just stealing from myself, which is fine. Uh, and so they were like, yes, here. And so I in the panel, I was able to reveal, like physically had the action figure and put it up on the screen, a brand new Bishop action figure based on his appearance in Marvel Studios X-Men 97 animated series. One of the new figures. We'll get into those a little bit later, but he's so good. He's, it looks so great. But you had more than just the figure. Mm-hmm. You kind of you kind of you, you brought some folks along with you to talk about the show the action figure is based on. Yeah, so huge thank you to all of our friends over at Marvel Studios for helping to make this happen. But we had writer and executive producer Bo DeMaio, supervising producer Jay Kesterena, and consulting on X-Men 97, Emmy-nominated producer, director of the original X-Men the Animated Series, and living friggin' legend Larry Houston brought all three of them up on the panel. I was just like this funny way, like, oh, who likes this? Maybe we should have someone. Boom, they stood up. They came up on the panel. We talked to them a little bit about working on the series and what it means to them. Um, You know, Jake got to talk a little bit about how much he loves Cyclops, which was great because then Bo gave us, he like set up a a five minute clip, the world premiere of footage of X-Men 97. And it was just for the room. We are not releasing the clip. And so we got to show off a whole bunch of stuff and it, it like starts off with some cool footage of, of Scott and Aurora talking to, uh, talk, having this conversation. Then Gene comes in and then it gets into this like action mode and you get some great Wolverine and Cyclops stuff. And then everything, ex- like literally everything explodes. Uh, and the X-Men are like falling in the air, but there's this, it's so you just like, you just warm as you start watching it. Cause Aurora just looks at rogue and like she like smiles and Rogue nods and like Aurora starts fixing this and Rogue grabs Beast and someone else and then Morph turns into Archangel and he starts flying around and all this is going on and Cyclops is just like smiling. He's like, X-Men, get ready. Let's do this. No parachute. My dude just like laying down like uh, like free falling then shoots into like a bullet stance, like falling straight down head first slows himself down with his optic blast. It's the biggest, baddest flex you'll ever see. He just giant and I look, I'm with you. I'm like I'm 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 not on the Cyclops train, but I watch this and he's like comes down, smoke clears. He's in that like superhero pose. I was like, 
I think I'm a Cyclops fan now. Ah, no, no, uh, I had to. I was there with you until right at that moment. Oh, I was almost there. And then he's there. He stands up. The rest of the X-Men drop down. He's like, to me, my X-Men. And then they roll out. I just gave myself chills because I've watched that footage three times and I know how good it is. If there is redemption for Scott Summers in this show, yeah, I might talk about him less mm-hmm. and stop calling him at least one of the names I generally call him yeah. that are not safe for work. Yeah. All in due time, we shall see how that goes. But, uh, but I don't know. I don't know. It's Scott Summers. I don't know. I know. I don't I know. know. I, I feel you. I He's feel an you. emo boy. He's an emo. And that's nothing wrong with it. It's just. Not your vibe. Own your stuff. No, just own it, Scott. <laughs> just be you. Be you. Well, um, Scott's Scott's going through some stuff in the comics, which I think is a perfect way for us to dive into all the comics news that came out of Comic-Con. We had some uh, X-Men cover reveals, but most importantly, showing the return to Marvel Comics of Greg Capullo, who hasn't worked mm. at Marvel in a very long time. He has done work for a distinguished competition and, and image and elsewhere for a long time. And he's got a variant cover, a brutal, awesome variant cover to Wolverine number 37. And that's coming real soon. That's September 20th. Um, if you've never seen Greg's work at Marvel, go check out X-Force and Quasar and more on Marvel Unlimited. He's so good. He's always been so good. Now he's one of like the true best in comics. So that was one cover. Then we showed, yeah. we also have Greg doing the cover for a special one shot this November called Deadpool Seven Slaughters. Oh, that name's so good. I know. I know. It's like a week in the life of Wade Wilson. He's got seven kills in seven days. And so you get a whole bunch of great creators Ooh, doing look stories. Look at this list of creators, though. Rob Liefeld, Cullen Bunn, Cody. Oh, Cody, Cody, Zig, Zig, Zag, Cody Ziggler, <laughs> uh, Mark Guggenheim, Justina Ireland. Oh, Justina Ireland. Mwah. That woman knows zombies. Gail Simone, Greg Land, Will Spertasio, who I just had a two-hour interview. Oh, Can't wait. He's so David. good. Oh, One of my so favorites good. of all time. He just thinks so deeply. And so I'm ready for Wade Wilson to have depth, but not depth. Oh, wait. David Baldion and Philip Sevy. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Like, this combination of writers is going to be completely and utterly irreverent, and I'm ready. Hell yeah. All right, we got to roll along. Let's go uh, yeah, talk about comics. Some, some Spidey stuff because I think it was before Comic-Con, it was announced there's a, a Superior Spider-Man Returns one-shot. Yep. And then- With the Dan Slot. Mm-hmm. Dan Slot coming back. He's been teasing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now we know that Dan is reuniting with Mark Bagley. They've been doing the, the Spider-Man comics for a little while now. They're going to be doing a Superior Spider-Man ongoing series. Ooh. Ooh. Y'all, you, you've handed Superior Spider-Man over to Dan Slott? And once oh. again, he's, he's oh. doing his thing. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's cool because it's like tying into the story that they told before, but going in new directions. They're not like rehashing things. They're finding new ways to tell things. And I don't know. I'm very excited. You got Otto and Peter and, and so much more. So uh, a new villain, she's going to be in there. So She? Uh-huh. Mm. Uh-huh. So Superior Spider-Man okay. Returns and then the Superior Spider-Man ongoing series coming in October and November, respectively. 
And so on top of that, we've got a new Punisher. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's going to make its vengeful debut in an all-new ongoing comic series written by David Pepos and drawn by Dave Watcher. This new Punisher is retired. S.H.I.E.L.D. Black Ops agent Joe Garrison. But what brings him back into action? What put Joe Garrison on path of vengeance? And when the smoke clears... Will he even make it out alive? These are all questions you will find out in November. Uh, Well, you may not find out in November, but the series does kick (laughs) off in November. uh, So make sure you're staying tuned, putting that on your pull list. And next up, we've got Marvel's next big event, Gang War. Gang War. There was, I'm 98% certain there was a Gang War story in the Spider-Man comics in the 80s. And so this is like, taking that name and giving it a new spin. Um, and it is really like coming out of amazing Spider-Man comics by Zeb Wells and John Romito Jr. And it is big and huge. It's basically a war that erupts between the gang lords of New York City. There's chaos throughout the Big Apple. Stuff is literally on fire everywhere. You got villains fighting villains. Criminals are fighting criminals. Hobgoblin, Mr. Negative, the Owl, Shotgun, Diamondback, AIM, Hydra. They're all just like going for New York City. Oh yeah. my god. Yeah. Uh that big. was a lot that's so much. Uh I don't know how Peter Parker is going to handle I- any of this. He um, can't do it alone, Angelique. He can't do no, it alone. No, he can't. Uh so, you know, it's General Spidey at the helm, but he gonna have some help. Yeah. Uh and that includes uh, Spider-Man, Miles Morales, She-Hulk, Daredevil, and Oh, Spider-Woman. Hey, Jessica Drew. Mm-hmm. Uh, their goal, take down the super gangs in under 48 hours. No press. No press. But, you know, for those who don't know, right now, New York has a brand new mayor, and that mayor is Luke Cage. Um, we got another announcement about Luke Cage and his whole story uh, coming. Really excited because Rodney Barnes is back as well. But, you know, what happens when the city is literally run by a former vigilante, now mayor? There are superheroes everywhere. Is Jackpot going to get involved? Is Shang-Chi a friend or a foe? Like, there's just a lot of confusing things that are happening, and I don't. I don't want to miss this and you shouldn't want to miss this. Um, There's going to be a lot of books that are involved in this. It all kicks off in November with the gang war first strike one shot, as well as some stories in the Spidey's books. And then from December into March across amazing miles and a new book for Luke Cage, Spider Woman, Daredevil and Shang-Chi. This is a lot. It looks like it looks like beautiful chaos. Uh, More issues can be found from the creative teams on marvel.com. Yeah, there's a lot going on. It's going to be fun, though. Uh, over on the Women of Marvel panel, they announced Spider-Gwen on tour, which is a new series by Melissa Flores and Anid Balam, and that's launching in December. And then that book sees Spider-Gwen, um, a.k.a. Gwen Stacy, a.k.a. Ghost Spider, going on tour with the Mary Janes, going around playing you know shows in, in different cities. But like she's like trying not to be Ghost Spider or just be like... Mm. A good band member, a good friend, but then assassins start following them. So you know how it goes. I mean, it never really works out for any superhero. I'm gonna take a break from being a superhero. No, that just doesn't. That doesn't. Also, later this year, Timeless returns with a special year-ending one-shot that sets the stage for upcoming stories in the Marvel universe. It's back for its third year this December, joined by acclaimed artists. 
Juan Cabal, writing team Colin Kelly, and Jackson Lansing will be taking over writing duties from the previous Timeless writer, Jen McKay. We'll see the dark future of the Marvel Universe. Uh, In this world that's been doomed by the hubris of its heroes, only one battle remains. The Immortal Moon Knight versus Power Man. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so Immortal Moon Knight has Stark tech, and he's, like, got Kanchu stuff and the Eternal Machine and all this other stuff. And he's, like, basically in control of the Earth. Who's standing against him? Power Man, a.k.a. Luke Cage, who's at, like ultimate power he's got the powers of the century the hulk and the iron fist and he's like i remember when i first heard about this i was like i want more i don't i'm this looks great just give me that book that story this is what happens when you let colin and jackson dream things i know it's great um there's also it was announced we're getting more omnibuses on the way because rom the original years omnibus volume two is coming june 2024 So there's lots of news and lots of info out there that we didn't even touch upon. I just tried to hit some of the big comics announcements. So make sure you're going to Marvel.com. Also, make sure you're checking out Marvel and all the different channels, um, Twitter, Twitch, Facebook. Yeah. We ain't done, though. We're still in Comic-Con land because... You know, I'm not done because this next announcement is very important to me. Yeah. Women of Marvel is coming back, 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 back. An all new season of Women of Marvel is coming on September 6th. Um, It's going to have a little bit of a different format. Uh, It's actually going to be character focused, highlighting some of your favorite Women of Marvel and deep diving into those characters and their impact. So I'm really excited. I know. Lots and lots of announcements. There's tons more. I'm sure we didn't get to, but like, yeah, because there was cosplay. There's so much great cosplay. Uh, Did you see the uh, Doc Ock, Prowler, Kingpin, Spider Verse crew? I did, but I also saw the young lady Stanley. She was so might have been she. She won my heart. Delightful perfection. She was so good. A lot of yeah, a lot of young, amazing cosplayers. A lot of uh, folks. We have a ton of photos. We have video of our cosplay competition and so much more. The Hellfire Gala event was bananas. I walked in, yeah, and there's like a Green Lagoon and like all this stuff, and there was just a big club full of X Men things and great costumes. I saw a, a woman did a storm with like storm clouds above her. Um, two members of our Marvel Games team were dressed up in Hellfire Gala outfits for X-23 and Magic. Shout out to Amanda and Paige who crushed it. Uh, there were so many great cosplayers and fans and everything there. So Hellfire Gala was really something special. Uh, which is Before we closed out, though, you didn't yeah. talk about the most famous actor, performer you met during yeah. Comic-Con. Cosmo the Space Dog, a.k.a. Jackson the Fire Dog, was there. Um, I did a, I, I hosted a meet and greet where he did <laughs> pautographs. Yep. Legit. I'm sorry. Like, literally, like. We, are, we had them pre-made because we didn't want to put anything on his paws. But we, we gave out, uh, like, these little posters for Marvel Studios Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 with, with Cosmo's paw print on them. And it was great we did those oh, there were a ton of mcu costumes you know every year at comic-con we have the the, the team from marvel studios wendy and, and that crew bring 
just the coolest things. They they pull costumes and they display them so everyone can see. And they did it differently this year. Instead of putting them on the stage, they built a display case at the front middle of the booth so that everyone could get really close and see them. And that allowed us to even put more. And every day it was different. So there so was stuff I saw for- the Guardians of the Galaxy spacesuits, which... Gorgeous. Gorgeous. Yeah, there was uh, a ton of stuff from Guardians Volume 3, honestly, from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, um, wow. whether it was Young Rocket and Lila. Oh, I saw Lila. Mm-hmm. There was a freaking fabulous furry flurkin that was on that floor Ooh. next to some um, extremely beloved superheroes yeah. of mine, a.k.a. Kamala Khan, a.k.a. Captain Marvel, a.k.a. Monica Rambo. Yeah. I should have sent that to you. I meant to text it to you, but then the day got crazy. And I, I thought of you as I was taking the, the video and some photos of it, but mm. Mm. Yeah, because it, it just so happens that all of those characters I just mentioned, including that freaking fabulous furry flurkin, also had a new trailer to draw. Yeah, a new trailer for Marvel Studios. The Marvels was released uh, over the last week or so, and you probably all have watched it great fantastic it's much wonderful trailer get ready for that we're getting much wonderful i like that yeah much we're excite much excite we're getting close getting close of course marvel studios the marvels releases november 10th 2023 which is coming sooner than y'all think exclusively everybody. in theater um still on that marvel studios tip this week is the final episode of marvel studios secret invasion <gasps> All the episodes are now available to watch, to stream, to enjoy, to experience on Disney Plus. Uh, but this one, this is there's got like big knockdown drag out fight. Yeah, I mean, look, I had the pleasure of interviewing Amelia Clark a couple weeks ago, and just like getting a chance to talk with her about how much she loves the character of Gaia and like how badass she is and like how this character, you know, although she's paid some badasses, right? Like she's played Sarah Connor, she's played Khaleesi, but this, yo, this fight was a whole literally levels. It was cool. There's lots of uh, emotional stuff there at the end. So a a lot of something. I I feel like people are going to be rewatching the last bunch of minutes just to to see where the future of the MCU goes, how it factors into everything else yeah pretty cool i'm not gonna say anything else for those who have not seen it but go watch it and then like come back to us and tell us how many different power sets you saw in that final knockdown drag out because ryan and i are still trying to figure out who everybody is yeah i think ryan knows he's just being nice to me it was a lot it was more than i could count on the the two viewings i had of it so you know you can watch the full series of Marvel Studios Secret Invasion now on Disney+. Plus. All right. It's time for what is on our pull list this week. What new comics we're hyping up. So three picks, kind of four, maybe five, six, seven. But the most, the biggest one, <laughs> the sorry. most, the most yeah, important one, the X-Men Hellfire Gala issue for this year. It's the 2023 Mm. one written. The whole thing is written by Jerry Duggan and then art by murderers row, including Adam Kubert, Luciano Vecchio, Matteo Loli, Russell Dodderman, Javier Pina, Arbe Silva, Joshua Kassara, Chris Anka and Pepe Larraz. So amazing artists here. It is a lot. There's also a one page 
interlude with the characters from Gods by Jonathan Hickman and Valerio Schitti. And full credits on this. You can check it out on the, on the book. But this is a big issue. I do not want to spoil anything. So many things happen. Multiple points in this made me cry at different different moments in it. Um, there's one toward the end in particular with a character who is like not the most well-known, but what she goes through and her journey, especially over the last couple of years, got me. Like, oh, I was like, Jerry, you're stabbing me in the heart. I read this a couple of weeks ago and I immediately texted Jerry like, they let you get away with all this. And he's just Jerry and like, yeah, it's great. And it is great. It is a beautiful, tremendous, upsetting, explosive, magnificent bit of comic I'm guessing book. that you really liked it, Ryan. I love it. And I, I love that it goes so hard and it changes so much and it pushes so many things forward where we could be complacent and just like, Krakoan era is amazing. And we could just keep doing all this stuff, which, you know, if I had my drillers, I'd want us to keep doing this stuff. But they just keep twisting the wheel, turning things and doing all this stuff. So that is without question one of my favorite comics of the week. If you are not an X-Men reader, there are, I think, enough things in there to help you along. I really do. I think it's something you're going to want to see how this affects the rest of the Marvel Universe. It is a big, beautiful, gorgeous issue. Also, if you're a, a Ms. Marvel fan... This is super crucial. The first five pages are all about the return of Ms. Marvel. All right. There's a speaking of Jerry and how much I love him and how great a week it is. He also is the writer of Invincible Iron Man number eight, which is very mm -hmm. much a tie to the Hellfire Gala. If you're going to read Hellfire Gala, may I also suggest you read Invincible Iron Man number eight? Because between the pairing? two of them, it's a great are you pairing. the comics? Mm -hmm. Read Hellfire Gala first, then Iron Man. They sort of like... Iron Man starts before it and then during it and then after it. And then between the two of them, you get 92 pages of Hellfire Gala event comic this this week. It is so amazing. Well, my second pick technically is Wolverine number 35 by Benjamin Percy Ooh. and Juan Jose Reed. Uh. It is a stealth mission of Wolverine on one side, X-Force on the other, infiltrating and trying to kill Beast. And it is bloody, vicious, awesome comic books that I loved yeah. so much. It's a really great book. Wolverine continues to be great. Then, Ultimate Invasion number two, my third full pick of the week, written by Jonathan Hickman, art by Brian Hitch. I've been talking about this book for weeks. I've, I've read Oof. it a long time. It is The tone of this book is insane. Yo, it is basically Reed Richards, evil Reed Richards, the maker, creating a new universe but like pulling away some of the things he doesn't want to deal with he murder he makes sure that the fantastic four don't exist he makes He's like, sure i don't that like you so he makes sure that spider-man doesn't exist he makes sure that like some things but it's like some things are just constants that he's having to deal with so like a hulk and other stuff and then things from the future come to him in the past and it's like thing on thing on thing and like the what jonathan and brian do to riff off of the original ultimate universe but make this something new and fresh and exciting and wild god i love this book i like comics angelique uh, uh duh, no yeah. i hadn't guessed uh so coming up our chat with dan feels all about rogers the musical we'll be right back
You're listening to This Week of Marvel. I'm Ryan Panagos. And I'm Angelique Roche. And we are going to talk about Rogers the Musical. So Dan Fields, uh, who is the executive creative director at Disney Live Entertainment, came on the show. And for those who kind of don't know uh, what that means, uh, Dan leads creative development for all superhero-themed entertainment in Disney parks and resorts worldwide. And he's the executive creative director of Rogers the Musical at Disney California Adventure Park. Uh, His recent uh, projects also include Avengers Campus, uh, Disney California Adventure, and Disneyland Paris, and Marvel Day at Sea for Disney Cruise Line, which you may have seen Ryan or I talk about Mm. Marvel things, but also, Ryan, you have been Mm -hmm. on said cruise. Um, And then for Disney Theatrical Group, Dan was resident director of the original production of Disney's The Lion King on Broadway, one of the greatest Broadway productions, may I add. This is a really fun conversation um, all about Rogers the Musical and much more with Dan Fields. I am delighted to be joined by Dan Fields, the Executive Creative Director for Disney Live Entertainment. Hello, Dan. Hey, how you doing, Ryan? I am doing very swell. Now, you, uh, we're going to be talking about Rogers the Musical and all kinds of fun stuff that you've been doing with uh, the House of Ideas for many, many years. But I got to start with a, an important question, and this can your answer can be whatever it is. There's no wrong answer here. But, Dan... What is your Marvel origin story? How did you first learn about, become a fan of, get connected to the Marvel characters and stories, not professionally, but as a as a, a civilian, shall we say? I haunted a lot of comic book stores when I was a kid, but I wasn't a big collector. So I had an awareness, uh, but of a lot of stories, you know, growing up in the, uh, being a kid at that age, 10 to 12, like mid 70s, uh, Star Wars was really starting to happen, and that's was that kind of opened my consciousness as a you know, as a twelve year old twelve uh, year old boy. Um, so, but arcades was where I started to sort of yeah. there was a sort of story link as I'd see characters across the faces of arcades, which is uh, not the most uh, direct link to the actual storytelling. So, uh, honestly, I didn't really invest beyond Spider Man, which. I don't even remember how I absorbed so much about Spider-Man. Um, I don't there was a cartoon. Uh, there was like an animated series, The Electric Company. There was the live action series. I, I don't imagine you could have gotten away from Spider-Man at that yeah. age. But, it, you know, there's other things when you get a little older where you really start to like focus on it or collecting it or, or deem yourself, you know, the master of something in your little circle of... Uh, of circle of friends, like I don't remember how uh, Spider Man became uh, that part of my consciousness, but like you said, it's just in the zeitgeist. It's just it's just out there, and we feel like it's a a character, a person that we know. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, so know so well, uh, which is which is wonderful. We all love Spider Man, but we all 
also love Captain America. So we really want to talk about Rogers the Musical. Can you tell us, like, the, in, in similar ways, what is the origin story for Rogers the Musical becoming a, a show that fans can experience and also, like, a really great show? I loved it. My wife, yeah. like, I, I, I'd gotten to check out some of it, and she was like, what is that? It sounds great. I was like, yeah, it is. Right. Well, you know, we pay a great deal of attention to um, all the content that was coming out on Disney Plus because part of my responsibilities uh, with Avengers Campus, both in California and Paris, is also the ongoing iterations of it. Who can we add into the into the roster, into the story, even for a short amount of time? So we had been working uh, with our the creators and the uh, um, on who might fit in, and we knew we had had Hawkeye as a character in the land going way back, but we were really excited about Kate Bishop. So we were actually really focused on something totally different. We were taking our stunt show for Avengers Campus, which as you probably know, features Black Widow and Black Panther uh, taking on Taskmaster and his goons. Uh, So we were working on a new holiday version of that where uh, where Glenn Barton was gonna show up with some (laughs) holiday gifts for the Avengers uh, and nobody was there, basically. Um, and uh, Kate was going to show up with him, and they end up fighting off the uh, the tracksuit mafia in a hilarious holiday music medley where they essentially destroy every piece <laughs> of holiday decorations. So we did not see this coming. Nobody told us about Rogers the Musical because it wasn't relevant to the story we were following, which is like, how many stripes on the, on the tracksuit mafia's <laughs> jerseys? And do they indicate anything we should know about? And how do we do neck tattoos? So um, we were having a lot of fun with that. So when it hit, when we finally got to see that, uh, that first episode, we all had the same feeling as you, your wife, the internet. <laughs> we said, Roger's a musical. Somebody should really do that. Like we want to see all of the Rogers, the, the musical. And then we kind of looked around and said, hey, we're Disney Live Entertainment. And we've got this great relationship uh, already. Uh, we can do it. <laughs> we have the writers. We have the composers. We have the directors, the choreographers. We have the Hyperion Theater. So that that's when we all uh, started getting serious about it very initially. I love that kind of organic way that things sort of spring up. Before we get even deeper into into Rogers, were you able to take that idea with Kate and Clint and the tracksuit mafia to fruition, or did that just get backburnered? And, and is it just sort of simmering in your mind somewhere? Oh no, we we did it, and we're going to oh, do man. it again. It's it's, gonna, yeah. it's it's now becoming our annual holiday tradition, and you know we'll always put some surprises and some Easter eggs um, in there to. to uh, to keep it current, but we even did the uh, ugly holiday sweaters. So at the mm-hmm. end, they go off and they put on their their sweaters. They get some hot cocoa and they come out. And we have a sort of hilarious holiday Avengers assemble moment, where basically all the Avengers who are hanging out in the headquarters come out up onto that upper deck there and uh, have a little holiday moment with the guests. It's a fun, a I fun photo it. op. And, you know, anytime you come, there's bound to be something new. Like Nick Fury is there right now and he's he's recruiting uh, young guests and doing all kinds of training uh, with them. So we've been having a lot of fun with all the new characters. Uh, Even Mantis joined the Guardians of the Galaxy awesome dance off 
uh, for a while. So it's been a lot of fun. I, I love it. Now, you know, you say you have this great relationship and, and it's true. Everything that is happening at Avengers Campus feels so organic to what is going on with the MCU and the films and all that stuff and the TV shows. But what, what was that first conversation you had? Did you have a full pitch, your full thing like this is what we want to do? Or did you just like start saying the words and like, yes, do it, please go? No, we really, as soon as we started talking about it uh, with uh, Jordan Peterson, who is the show director, even before we had our composers and, and book writers and the rest of the collaborators, we just took a look at Steve Rogers' story. Let's go back and tell ourselves the story. Let's rewatch the films. Let's re read up. Let's go back to the comic books. Let's really remind ourselves of everything that's happened to this you know, amazing character over the generations, really, and think about what complete story we want to tell that knowing it was only going to be a half hour long, how much story could we cram into it? Now, here's an interesting twist on it. In the Hawkeye show, the Rogers the Musical plays farcically, right? It's, it's I'll say it, it's kind of cheesy, right? They're singing and dancing and, and, and you know, wearing their contemporary outfits. And there's a sense from all of us who are watching saying, Yeesh, after the snap, this is what's going on. Like, uh, too, is you know too soon to be to be telling the Battle of New York uh, uh, in this way? And so, the PTSD that 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 uh, Hawkeye gets from watching it and seeing Black Widow up there and everything that it, it recalls from him, it had to be corny for Hawkeye to go on his journey. But we stepped back from that and said, if this was part of a larger musical telling the complete story um, of Steve Rogers, would all of it have to be in that tone? Nah, I don't think it would have to be. Um, so we kind of worked backwards from there. How do we tell his story and logically get to a point where we're telling the Battle of New York in that way um, as this kind of celebration and having some fun with it, but still be able to find other flavors and colors? There is what I what I love about it is because one of the things, you know, we love about musical theater is there are a variety of tones and flavors and feelings throughout the production. And you do get some tongue in cheek stuff, even the beginning with your like Nick Fury sings. And it's like, yeah, yeah I'm, I but you get bought in. But then you get the earnestness and you get those Steve Rogers moments that remind you that, yeah, he's he's just a, a kid from Brooklyn. And right. like you, you start getting into that feeling and you're you, y'all did a great job. Thanks. Well, you know, we wondered because we have to serve a, a pretty broad audience, right? It's one thing if you're an Avengers campus, if you're going to spend a chunk of hours in Avengers campus, you've made that choice to spend that part of your, your Disneyland day there. But if you're coming into a giant theater, you have to appeal to as broad an audience as possible. Kids, grandparents, not everyone who not everyone's seen Marvel Origins and knows the whole story, right? <laughs> we we uh, need to introduce them that way. So we took the challenge of how do we tell this story that even if you don't know anything about Steve Rogers, can you get it? So when we were asking ourselves that question about how do you explain that to the audience without assuming they know, that's how we arrived at the Starkettes. Let the Starkettes just tell you <laughs> this is going to be the story of Steve Rogers. And we only have 30 minutes to tell you the, tell you the story. And let's, let's just narrate it. 
And through that device of this uh, trio of tight harmony singers, let's tell you narratively exactly what you need to know. And so when they pop up throughout the show and kind of bookend the whole thing, uh, it was a sort of natural theatrical device. A lot of great musicals start with a big opening number that sets the whole stage, right? Oklahoma introduces you to everybody you need to know in those first moments and go from music to little spoken vignettes to music throughout that. So uh, we just use that classic form of uh, what's a great musical introduction to set the stage for the whole evening. One of the great things is that this is something, as you mentioned, appeals to a, a core audience, like a, a broad audience. And there's folks who are spending their time there and then they're coming in and it's per- maybe it's hot outside and they're going in there. But they are hooting and they are hollering and they're cheering along and they're like, you could feel the exuberance. Have you sat in on on audience, you know, viewings of the of the show? Oh, I can't get enough of it. Uh, <laughs> wait to get an audience. And I'll tell you, um, there are many rewarding things about sitting with a live enthusiastic audience that loves uh, this character and these these stories. But in that U.S. opening number. There's a pause when we actually finally introduce young Steve. And you hear his thing. Da, 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 da. You hear his theme, theme. And this scrawny guy comes running out on the stage and everyone goes crazy. They're not going crazy for a guy with a shield and a strapping, you know, burly, burly shoulders. It's young Steve. And they're they're so excited to go on the journey with him. I, I found that. It kind of very rewarding, but also kind of emotional, too, that they are ready to go back to the beginning and see his whole story play out on stage. So when after that opening number, when he gets to sing his I Want song, which is called I Want You, because that's the name of the cat, the uh, Uncle Sam poster, which, again, the I Want You song is a classic piece of musical theater. It's the feelings are so intense in a character that they can't say them. They have to sing them. And he summarizes so much about what we experienced in first Avenger film uh, through his experiences of trying and trying and wanting to serve uh, his country and what it what it means to to him, and then be having it being recognized by Dr. Erskine. So, yeah, I, I found that really rewarding when the audience welcomes him onto the stage with a cheer before he's even spoken a word. Now tell us a little bit more about the the team, the composers, choreographers, cast. Like it's it, it really is like pretty fun. Yeah. So uh, Jordan, the show director, Jordan Peterson, had uh, worked recently with Christopher Leonard, and they just had a great connection. They really understood each other. They spoke the same language about style and spectacle. And uh, Chris Leonard, you may know his name because he also was the composer for the entire series for Agent Carter. So he already had a particular <laughs> knowledge about a particular woman named Peggy Carter uh, and knew her story incredibly well. Uh, and uh, just was known for you know, composing superhero-related music. So that was such a natural because it had the, the professional connection to the story and the professional collegial relationship um, with the story creators. So all of the original five original songs, right, we inherited two. We inherited... Save the City from uh, from Hawkeye. And, of course, Star Spangled Man, written by Alan Menken um, from First <laughs> Avenger, which is such a great song. It's such a classic. What a gift. Such a gift and, and a great kind of 
old school Disney type song as well and a period song. It's really, really wonderful. So we had those two pieces, but Chris really um, went to town to create everything else. So, you know, those two ballads that I want you song for young Steve, but especially end of the line for the two Steves, which we can talk about a little later. Um, those are really powerful songs that really unlocked the show um, for us. But then we needed somebody to stitch it all together. So uh, I pulled in a colleague, Hunter Bell, who I had worked with before. Um, Hunter Bell was the writer of an a off-Broadway musical that actually went to Broadway called Title of Show, in brackets, uh, <laughs> about the creation of a Broadway musical uh, that he and Jeff Bowen uh, wrote and became a sensation and he starred in it uh, at the time. And um, I had worked with him on Disney Cruise Line. He wrote Villains Tonight, which was a comic musical review of the villain story for uh, the cruise ship for us. And he knows his superhero stories um, quite well, but he's not steeped in it the way you are, the way I've been, especially these these last five years but he's genius at the short stroke connective tissue. So he was our element who came in and said, how do I make this clear to anyone? Like he's famous in, <laughs> for me when we say, is this too complicated? He'll always raise his hand and say, I'm four, <laughs> right? <laughs> like if I'm four and I get what you're saying, uh, it's probably going to work. Uh, so he helped us connect all of the story beats together in a cohesive way, filling them in narratively, connecting one piece to the next. Then there's Sarah Kobayashi, who is our choreographer, who is a longtime Disney creator, um, had worked on many parades and shows over the years, and just a great person at taking different periods of movement and dance and turning them into something fresh and original. So as you saw in that U.S. opening number, I'm clearly in the 1940s and they're swing dancing, but there's a language and a gesture language that comes from contemporary movement as well and R&B related moves. So right away, even though they're wearing soldiers, the men are wearing soldiers uniforms, you see those moments, movements and say, oh, OK, we're out of time. We're playing with time here, which is such a strong theme throughout uh, throughout the show. Yeah, uh, it, it's wonderful. Now, you mentioned earlier that you were looking, uh, of course, at all of Steve Rogers' screen history and everything that we know about him from the films and 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 that lore. But you also thinking about the, the comics and the ways that, you know, we also have 85, almost 85 years of history for for Steve uh, in, in the comics medium. How do you balance, you know, bringing some of those elements in and making sure that it is also really accessible to a broad audience? You know, with the, the comics helped us solve one of our biggest challenges, which was how do we, how do we explain everything that happened to Steve in World War II in about 45 seconds. <laughs> we had wanted to give um, not just a cursory nod, but a meaningful nod to the comics, uh, uh, um, both in the visual style, not just story time, but also the visual style um, in the show. Um, because as you rem remember from, say, the city in the Hawkeye show, you know, the scenic design there is uh, kind of 2D. Uh, there's a lot of layered flats, even though there is the bridge in, in New York for the for the battle. 
there's a lot of two-dimensional pieces in it. So we saw the potential to relate to that in some of our scenic design, like our New York City uh, flats that are there, uh, rather than trying to build a lot of three-dimensional uh, three-dimensional scenery. But when we combine those thoughts to tell the story of uh, Steve through World War II, we created these three panes of um, comic book covers that Steve physically, literally, as a three-dimensional human, steps into just for a moment as the narration, the voiceover, and the music are telling us, you know, Captain America, you know, <laughs> goes goes into battle and saves Lieutenant Barnes. Um, so we're able to jump through time in that way. And then the backdrop was a kind of living uh, set of comic book pages that told that same story. Um, so th that was that was really helpful for us, but also meaningful for us because we we didn't want to leave out the influence of the comics, both at the time and throughout the you know throughout the history for for fans. You know, we're talking about that initial save the city experience that we got in Hawkeye, and, and that only gave us that little sliver. And then you're looking at the comics, you're looking at the the history. Are there parts of Steve's canon that you like initially wanted to include? Did you get everything in that you wanted to? Because as you said, it is 30 minutes. You're trying to get a lot in there and you do tell a lot of story. But, you know, how difficult was it for you and the team to decide on what parts of his story to really focus on? Well, you know, sometimes limitations are a strength. So uh, knowing that we were telling a musical, knowing that we had to uh, find a way to use tones more than just the sort of giddy silly fun of Save the City. That's how we ended up gravitating to really focusing on the love story arc. Um, Peggy's role in both discovering Steve, but finding the connection between them, um, their commitment to their ideals, but also to each other, having to take a backseat, but always being just beneath the surface. Like that's pure musical magic. So um, that helped us focus. We had mm -hmm. to, we couldn't tell every story, um, but a love story, pretty much anyone can understand. You know, scrawny boy meets girl. <laughs> scrawny boy becomes not so scrawny, doesn't get the girl. The love forestalled until they finally find a way back to each other. You know, the, the beats of that are, um, might feel familiar, but are so potent. Um, so for Steve's story, for that to play out over so many um, uh, issues, and then, then again in the films over time, uh, that that was how we arrived at that. Now, that meant that we introduced Bucky, but we weren't really able to take the time to dive into that relationship and that friendship. Uh, so we wanted to explore uh, the commitment that these two um, friends had to each other and their, you know, their undying devotion and how that plays out um, through their stories way past this point in time. Um, and uh, also Sam Wilson and, and when, what that relationship meant uh, to Steve and also to the rest of us as a key player and for Sam to take the mantle as Captain America. So there was more, <laughs> so much more to tell. But that just gives you an insight for how we arrived. You know, if you kind of look at these sort of key stories as as uh, young Steve to Captain America, his relationship with Bucky, his relationship with Sam, his relationship to the Avengers, we really had to make some choices. So we keyed in on Peggy Carter and Avengers. 
Uh, also, and I mentioned it earlier, Nick Fury sings kind of a, a big hook, seems like in the marketing of the show, but also within the show. Did anyone balk at that aspect? Because, you know, Nick Fury is he's Nick Fury. Uh, I, I love it. It's a blast. But I can imagine someone being like, hmm. Well, when we realized that we could take the list and turn it into a patter song, <laughs> so we could do like super awesome Easter egg and classic style of musical theater number where someone is talking fast and then they talk and sing even faster. <laughs> we had to do it. So honestly, I was pretty nervous because I went to uh, our partner, uh, Dave Bashore at the studios who we work with so closely and over all of these years. Uh, and he is uh, our, our partner and collaborator, but also our gatekeeper to Kevin. It was time to take this concept to Kevin because he wanted to know. He was very interested, always asking, <laughs> how's it going? What's going on? Have you solved it? And we finally said the hard truth. We got to tell you the way we want to do this is that Nick Fury sings. And he's like, he has to sing. <laughs> I swear to God, he said, you should put that on the billboard. Nick Fury sings. That is exactly, you are doing your own thing with it. You got to lean into that. And honestly, that comment from Kevin, when that came back to the creative team, that's what enabled us to get the Starkettes to come out before the show and say, let's just say it, Nick Fury sings. And so it becomes a sort of signature kickoff. Uh, a great moment of, of uh, collaboration between the studios and the creators of the show. That Feige fella, he's got a future ahead of him. He's, he knows what he's talking about. Uh, uh, I, you know, you mentioned the the end of the line, the two Steves. Is that your favorite number in in the production? Is that something, you know, if you had to choose like one that just you think of, you just might sit back and think about, is that the one? What is it for you? For me, end of the line is is so potent because even though we've seen Steve versus Steve, before, we've never seen this, right? We've never seen old Steve versus young Steve. We're, we're not, not versus, but to imagine a moment where you speak to your younger self or your older self and what you can and can't tell. Like all of these rules we make up for ourselves in these fantasies of parallel um, universes. But then to find a way for um, two people who are really one person to find their story together, uh, to ask questions of each other. I, I just find it really potent, really beautiful, let alone to sing in close harmony <laughs> with a version of yourself, to find your gestural language uh, overlapping. There's just so many cool things about that. And for me, the gasp in the audience when Cap has been sort of beaten down by all of the the wars, you know, as you, you saw how we took Save the City and Battle of New York, but we then reprised it to Winter Soldier, we reprised it to Thanos and Wakanda and, and even Ultron, right? We we did all of that in the in the end of that. For for him to stand up and hear on your left from himself and to see the lights come up with both shields. I just get the chill. Even just describing yeah. it to you, it gives me the chills. Same. The audience gasps when they realize, oh my God, 
that's the guy that's young Steve, and now he's old Steve. Ah, and then this thing together. It's pretty amazing. But from a from a story point of view, though, I just I love I want you so much for young Steve to be able to find his voice even as a young man, and his desire to serve, and as um, you know, as the lights kind of gather around him, and he speaks truth to what he really wants to to stand up for the little guy and to fight injustice and to do it so powerfully even though he's the 111 pound guy that's just that's just magical for me i i cannot get enough of that and the performers are so amazing in that in that moment yeah how long is the show running it runs to the end of august in disney california adventure park at the Hyperion Theater. Hopefully, everybody listening can check it out. It is uh, something special. Now, one last question. If you could shepherd uh, any other musicals featuring these superheroes, who would you want to get the song and dance treatment? Is it someone you want to break out from from Rogers the Musical? Or do you, in your head, you're like, mm, I got a story to tell with Moon Knight? Oh, Ryan. I have I have a long list. <laughs> I'll have to, I'll have to uh, vet that list with a few uh, people. But let's plan another session. Okay. We'll to uh, release that information uh, and see what else we could do because there's so many there's so many great stories um, in these in these shared super, superhero uh, stories, both as individual characters and how they relate to each other how they relate to our world. And now to say that it's okay to use music and musicals as a form of expression for that, uh, there's a lot of potential that I think we'd all like to explore. Love to hear it. All right, Dan, thanks so much. Thanks very much, Ryan. Great to speak with you. That was Dan Fields. Uh, guests can experience Rogers the Musical at Disney California Adventure Park through August 31st. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Now it is time for Community Section, a.k.a. This Week in Messages. Oh, man. All right. So as we're getting ready for This Week in Messages, we're going to give you our question for next week in Messages. Um, so the question of the week, what other characters should have the Rogers the Musical treatment. You can tweet your answers using hashtag This Week in Marvel. Email them to twimpodcast at marvel.com or send a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash This Week in Marvel. Please make sure to tell us it is okay to read Twim on the show. Yes. Uh, all right. I have two answers. One obviously modok the musical it is you're gonna it's like a big fun like thing to get across stage where you have modok you could also have a floating modok and like you could do all kinds of stuff there's a lot of a, a young pathos. man like this yeah uh, there's romance there's terror there's horror there's sadness there's action adventure there's henchmen there's all beautiful it would be amazing i it's it writes itself but okay. all right i'm not i'm not gonna take this from you my second answer, D-Man the Musical. 
Dennis Dumphy does it. And then you get D-Man. There's a whole a whole act about his wrestling career. There's a whole act about him coming out and what that means and how important that is. There's a whole act about him being Captain America's partner and friend and, and, and him coming out from being so down low and then rising up high. And he's freaking D-Man and he's amazing. And then at the end, he's like leading a support group. Trans kids. Come on. Come I on. I love it. I love it. I love it. I just, I, I, I just came up with that as I was were, thinking of that that's answer. What I, that's why I just got silent because I was I'm watching. I like tearing up thinking about how good a D-Man musical would be. I was watching the creative process happen. <sighs> God. So, so I have three. Guess. Only because I think they're like three types of musicals um, that I love in particular. Um, one of them would have to be Arnim Zola. Oh, yeah. Because I, I want, I want the, it's kind of like a Renfield type situation where it's like I want the story behind the story and then the story of survival and then a tech opera like yeah. come on he basically becomes the phantom of technology yeah fantastic it's a horror um, it's good it's oh that's not my horror though <laughs> I want Morbius the musical <gasps> if you don't call it it's Morbin time and lean in <laughs> <laughs> or if there's not a like the like the big showstopper is, it's Morbin time. You know, come on. And he just transitions on stage. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So good. And then um, it's a tie between Dupe the musical <laughs> or Glob Herman mm-hmm. Home. Ooh. Ooh, I it's like hard. The, it's hard. The glob one would be really sweet. The dupe would. one would be bananas. Madness. And like you only if you developed a language that no that would not translated to the crowd. So it was it was sung and spoken by dupe. And the and characters and everybody else understands him. But the audience does it? Oh. Yeah. yeah. That is exactly what I thought. But also my love for Glob Herman and this whole like sweet baby glob Herman yeah. who's just trying to find his place in the world yeah. who just wants to feed his chickens and make friends. Yeah. You know, I, I hear a song talking about who I am on the outside because everyone can see his insides. I love it. These are honestly, these are great answers. We got a great bunch. So listeners, Come at us you. with yours. We want to hear them. You can email them, to post them uh, however you can. But now let's get into your answers for last week's question of the week. What was your favorite Marvel reveal or announcement or moment from Comic-Con this year? First up, Herbe Doroteo at Herbe underscore Excelsior said, my favorite moment from Marvel SDCC is the Women of Marvel panel featuring the announcement of the Ghost Spider comic. Plus, Joe Garrison is the new Punisher. Plus, excellent cosplay celebrating 60 years of the Avengers and the big announcement of Gang War. Great choices, Herbe. Gang, gang. Uh, and then we've got Mountain Meg at Meg Stalker. Hey, Meg. Uh, here are my two favorite STCC moments for this week in Marvel. One, Andy Park Art's incredible new poster for the Marvels. Mm-hmm. And two, new details about next month's Ms. Marvel, the new mutant releases with Iman Vellani on the writing team. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's got Kamala going undercover and she's working with the X-Men and all kinds of stuff. It's it's going to be good. I'm very much looking forward to it. Uh, Cameron Leverton at Leverton Cameron tweeted, I enjoyed watching the Rob Liefeld panel and also seeing more of Marvel Spider-Man 2. And then we've got Morganite Cosplay at Morganite Cause PL1 meeting Andy Park was an absolute dream come true as a cosplayer sobbing emoji. Oh, <laughs> I know. I love Comic-Con. Uh, Namor Cosplay at Namor Cosplay said, getting to participate in the Marvel Becoming Cosplay competition with my Ronin the Accuser cosplay Ooh. that I spent months making from scratch and winning first place. Shout out to Dan. Yo, I, know his I name saw was Dan. that cosplay. So good. And like I look... I, I had seen him the day before. There's a really amazing Gamora that um, he was like hanging out with. Great job, Dan, aka Namor Cosplay. That uh, Ronan was fire. One more. It's not an answer, but this is a question for Ryan from Jonathan Lohman at Johnny Jag 85. I love this. At Agent M. Hey, Ryan. Hope all is well. Curious for us new fathers that struggle to get out to the comic shop. Any updates on if same-day release digital purchases will come back? Thanks for the fantastic podcast. Hashtag Marvel Comics. Hashtag Twim. Aw, dad advice. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I get it. I get it, my friend. Um, I, I've, I've asked, we'll see, whenever we have updates about that, coming to Marvel Unlimited or any other places, um, we'll see. But I believe you could still go to Amazon and, and read the Kindle editions of new issues as they're released weekly. Um, uh, you know, I know how hard it is to get out. So if you do need that, you can get those there. And I'm, I'm sure we'll have more options and more info for you in the future. Stay tuned. Thank you for the question and uh, keep listening. We'll get you more. Oh, before we go, Ryan, we promised a Marvel Insider code. That's right. If you're not signed up already, head over to marvel.com slash insider where you can earn points for doing stuff like reading comics, articles, and even listening to this very podcast. Plus, we have a very special code for listening to this episode. The code is... Rogers, R-O-G-E-R-S. It is valid until August 4th, 2023. Receive 5,000 Marvel Insider points when you enter it in the This Week in Marvel podcast code redeem activity at marvel.com slash insider. Limited number of redemptions available. One redemption code per Marvel Insider. Marvel Insider is open to U.S. residents 18 plus only and terms apply. This episode of This Week in Marvel is produced by Jasmine Estrada, Cara McGurk-Allison, Isabel Robertson, Ryan Panagos, and Angelique Roche. Our Senior Manager Audio Production and Development is Brad Barton. Jill DeBoff is our Director of Audio. Special thanks to um, Jill and, and a whole bunch of other people, but particularly Cara, who's worked her freaking butt off on this show for a while. And uh, this is her last episode with us. Cara, yeah. we're going to miss you. I'm Ryan. I'm Angelique. This is Marvel your universe.